Grab your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, um, passage I know that we've looked at at least one other time before, I'm sure other times. Um, And uh, we get into the practical part of Paul's writing. Colossians chapter 3, page 1047 of your pew Bibles. And with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. Apostle Paul writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And Father, as always, we ask that you would open our entire being. We would receive your word, apply it to our lives, and be transformed by it. Lord, we believe that because you are risen and ascended above, we will be transformed, become like uh, your son. Lord, we ask that you would help us in that endeavor, that we would indeed become like Jesus. In name your glorious son, we pray. Amen. Seated. If you've raised kids or have grandkids or whatever, you, you know that little kids... They, they go through these, these stages, right? And, and we, we were no different. We went through the cars stage, you know, with a tow mater and all that. We, we went through the uh, uh, Thomas the Tank Engine stage, right? Um, where um, uh, Sir Topham had, I think, is actually a fascist, the way he runs the, uh, uh, the, the tank engines. And, uh, and in every episode of Thomas the Tank Engine, they introduce new tank engines so that parents have to go out and buy new tank engines. So just when you get to know the characters, they introduce you new characters. You're wondering what happened to the last character. Because Sir Topham had as a fascist. Anyways, um, he, he, uh, you watch it, you'll see what I mean. And uh, we, we, we went through the dinosaur stage, right? Where it's funny to listen to a toddler pronounce all the big dinosaur names. And then you realize you couldn't announce it any better than they tried. Um, uh, the Barbie stage, right? The doll stage. The, uh, the, the tea house, tea party stage. We, we went through uh, superhero stage. I hope that never dies out. But we, we, we've gone through all these. But... One in particular stuck out in my mind looking at this text this week is we briefly went through a cowboy stage. And our, our kids are fortunate I couldn't find a certain picture of them dressed up as a cowboy and cowgirl. But, but whenever we went through the cowboy stage, everything was geared around that identity. 
uh, if we went hiking or walking, we had to take our little uh, you know, uh, pistol with us, right, and put it in the holster, and we had to walk funny like we just got off a horse, and, and we had to wear our hat, and, and we had to talk with a certain Texas draw, and, and we, we had to put on this, this entire uh, uh, persona. We would do um, uh, duels, right? We would stand back to back. We turn around and, and get each other, you know, and all, all that sort of stuff. That that the cowboy lifestyle took over our, our our house, and to the point where where the kids were convinced they were actually cowboys. Now, Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher, argued that you are what you do, and for most people, that seems to be what it is that we we buy into. But I want to suggest that the gospel offers a slightly different narrative. The gospel suggests. You are what Christ has done for you. It's a big difference. Think about it. Our, our toddlers, no matter how hard they tried and how well they dressed and how good of a shooter they might have become, they were never going to become a cowboy or a cowgirl. For one very obvious reason, we didn't own cattle. All right? You can't be a cowboy without the cow. You may have the boy part, you may have the girl part, but you don't have the cow part. We were rednecks from one county. We, we, they weren't going to be cowboys and cowgirls. No matter how hard they might try or pretend or wear the costume, that doesn't make them something. Rather, the gospel comes along and, and says, you, you are not what you have done. You are not what others have said about you. But rather, you are what Christ has accomplished for you and who Christ says that you are. That is, that is to say that through the resurrection of Jesus, we, through the gospel, we have transformation leads to becoming. When we are transformed, we become like the one who has transformed us. And the Christian journey is no more complicated than that. It is to become like the one who has transformed us. Christ is holy, and as such, our highest aim as Christians is to be holy as Jesus is holy. And we can't get there without first looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Verses 1 to 4 offers for us the foundation of that. You see it there right from the beginning. If then you have been raised with Christ. You see the clear reference to the resurrection of Jesus. When my wife and I were dating, there was a book we bought. Uh, I don't remember if it was a good book, bad book, or, or whatever. Just, just the title is what I remember. And, and the book, from what I remember, was, was all about how men and women communicate differently. The book was titled something like, Women are like spaghetti, men are like waffles. And, and we joke about this today because I think it's a good summary. What it means is, if you ever listen to men talk, we talk in terms of categories. Sports. And we're going to talk about sports until we're done talking about sports. And then we're going to jump from that waffle square to the next waffle square. Work, right? And we're going to talk about work. And we're only going to talk about work. If you want to talk about sports, sorry, you're too late to the game. We, our minds have transitioned to work. And then if we want to talk about uh, the family, we're going to jump from the work conversation. We're going to jump to the family conversation, right? Uh, I wish when, when, when I was in Breckeridge County, you know, at Goshen Baptist Church, uh, where, where it was always sunny, and, and uh, uh, a group of guys would meet every Thursday, and we would jump from deep theology to dad jokes to, 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 to sports to, to they all made fun of soccer, right? And then we would just, just jump from, from one thing to, to another, right? That's the way men communicate. Have you ever listened to a group of women communicate? Good luck trying to track 
how it is you ended up here when you were just a second ago over here, right? It's like spaghetti. It's like spaghetti, right? Um, and and it, it gets very, very confusing. You, you cannot, men cannot keep track of a just their wife talking, let alone a group of women talking, right? You know, this is why men sort of zone out, husbands zone out when their wives are just going at it. It's because they are still trying to figure out how is it that you started talking about your mother and we're talking about n- nuclear proliferation? Somehow we've gotten from one to the other and then, oh, look, we're talking about your mother again, right? Men and women are different. Well, I have good news for you, men. Paul's more of a waffle guy. And what Paul writes is he, he, he usually begins his letters talking deep theology. So the first 11 chapters of Romans, for example, is deep, deep theology. And starting in chapter 12, he transitions to a different square. And he's going to talk about practical pastoral issues rooted in that theological foundation. Colossians is the same way. The first two chapters, he's in the waffle square of deep theology, where he wants you to see that Christ is sufficient above all. Right? And, and once you grasp that, you're ready for the next waffle square. And that is the pastoral, practical application of that truth. Verse, verses 1 to 4 is really a summary of all that Paul's been describing because he's transitioning from the theological to the, to the practical. And so you see there, if you have been raised with Christ, you see there that, that, that if you embrace everything he said about Christ, the one who, who has come and disarmed principalities and powers, the one who, who, who has hung our, our shame and our sin upon the cross so that we can be forgiven. If, if, if you've come to Christ, you have been risen with him. Now, that's exactly what it is we talked about last week, if you recall. Remember, we talked about union with Christ, that, 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 that in the Bible, there is the objective truth of the matter. There's the subjective truth of the matter. That is to say, Christ historically did die and was raised again from the grave. At the same time, being true, when we receive the gospel narrative, we ourselves die to our sins and are raised uh, from that. We go from the old to the new. You remember we saw last week as Paul used baptism as the illustration for that. And that's what he's doing here. You have been raised and, and therefore you have been transformed. You have been liberated. But notice also what he does in verse 1. It's not just the resurrection he has in mind. He says that, that you've been raised with Christ and seek the things that are above where Christ is. You see what he just did there? He says Christ has been risen Christ has been ascended. Seek the things of where Christ is. Where is Christ not in the grave? Where is Christ risen and ascended above in the heavenly places? Seek that. You see what he's saying is is that transformation leads to becoming. And this is made evidently clear in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above. Who's up there? Jesus. He's been risen and ascended. Not on the things on the earth. Jesus ain't ain't on the earth. Seek the things of Christ. For, verse 3, you have died. You see the reference to the crucifixion. You have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So so you see this this, this doctrine of the union with Christ that we talked about last week is important for us to understand that Christ was risen for our healing. We talked about that the first week. Christ was risen, risen to give us life. We talked about that. Christ was risen to give us freedom. We talked about that last week. But Christ was risen so that we might become as holy as Christ is. Christ was risen for our holiness. And with that as a foundation, 
Paul explores the differences between holy and unholy living, righteous and unrighteous living, or as the language that he uses here, earthly living and heavenly living, seeking the things of the earth or seeking the things of heaven. So we move from the foundation to the focus in verses 5 to 17. Now, willing to bet, if, if, if you were to go to any t-ball game anywhere in the country, anywhere, you go anywhere, so long as there is a few dads there, you're going to hear the dads yell something at the kids. You know what it is? Most important thing, son, keep your eye on the ball. Most important thing, right? And that's true with, with most sports, right? If, if you're trying to get a rebound in basketball, you may need to know where the basketball is. If you're playing keeper in uh, the world sport, soccer, football, real football, uh, you're going to keep your eye on the ball, right? It doesn't matter what the sport is. You keep your eye on the ball. Why? Because what you focus on is, will determine your success. And that's true not just in sports, particularly baseball. It's, it's true when it comes to our lives. What we focus on will determine our success or failure. If we keep our eyes on Jesus... We will become like him. If you take your eyes off of Jesus, you will not become like him. It's not really more complicated than that. After all, notice in those first four verses, seek the things that are above. A common form of writing in the Roman world this time was to articulate what we call virtue and vice lists. Paul uses these all the time. And what you get in verses 5 to 17 is first a vice list bad things, and then followed by a virtue list, good things. And so what he shows us with this vice list, verses 5 to 11, is this is what life looks like if you focus on the things of the earth. Notice the first thing he says is inward idolatry. He describes sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Now you can read that as covetousness is idolatry, which would be true. But rooted in that is everything that comes before it is rooted in idolatry. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. All of those are rooted in idolatry. Think about it. What you get here in verse 5 is Paul summarizes the Ten Commandments. Can I prove it to you? The Ten Commandments 1 and 2 is about idolatry. Don't worship other gods. Don't make graven idols of other gods to worship. Idolatry. The Tenth Commandment is do not covet. Now, the way we've always understood the Ten Commandments is if you keep the first one, don't worship other gods, you'll keep all the others. You'll follow the Sabbath, you won't lie, you won't murder, you won't steal, you do all that. If you keep the Tenth Commandments, do not covet, you'll keep all the ones before that. After all, you won't covet after other gods. You'll keep the Sabbath, you won't lie, you won't steal, you won't, you won't do all this other stuff. Paul puts them both together. Covetousness is idolatry. And he says that if you're looking at this list of sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desire, at its core is that of idolatry. At the root of immorality, idolatry. At the root of impurity, idolatry. At the root of passion, uh, particularly evil passion, is idolatry. At the root of greed is idolatry. Idolatry is nothing short of seeking salvation and our identity in anything and anyone other than Jesus. We turn good things into God things. 
often rooted in fear or pride or something that that we we may, we have this makeshift hell. I I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to be whatever it might be. And so we have these fears, and so it tempts us to turn to a savior. If I don't want to be poor, what I need is an education. If I don't want to be lonely, what I need is a man or a woman or children or or or, or whatever it might be. And so we we sink all of our desires and our identity into those things. If I'm successful, people will respect me. If I am, if, if, if I achieve things, then I'll, I'll have enough money in the, in, in the bank and then, and then I'll get the sense of identity and, and, and everything else, right? We fear failure. We, we fear all these things. And so we fall into a temptation of placing our identity, really our salvation, into false idols. Now, what religion does is it usually only addresses the outside, Anger, deceit, violence, fornication. But in the gospel, we begin with worship. No one will come to the gospel of Jesus until they first worship the God of the gospel. Here, Paul begins, he says, look, if you if you're focus on the things of the earth, it will begin with, with idols. It will begin with false worship, which is why when we talk of holiness, we always talk about the heart's. At the heart of anger, the outward, is bitterness and envy. At the heart of deceit is pride. At the heart of violence is hate and malice. At the heart of fornication is lust. Ignore the heart, Paul is warning us. If you ignore it, you'll never be holy. Not only does he show us inward idolatry, he shows us in verse 8 sinful speech. Notice, notice this list here in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. He clearly has the tongue in mind. Now, although anger, wrath, and malice could manifest itself in other ways. If you're angry, punch a hole in the wall, right? If you're angry, throw the controller down. If you're angry... Uh, get online and tell all the fan base to fire the coach. Whatever it is, right? We can manifest these things in a variety of ways. But they always manifest themselves verbally first. Always. Always. Every fight, physical fight, began with people running off their mouths. Right? Isn't this what wrestling is all about? You ever watch WWE? Well, I grew up WWF, uh, but, but WWE, I think it is now, right? It's all about dudes on microphones. You know what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to you. This is what I'm going to do to you. Right? You watch what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do it, right? And they just go back and forth, and then they have the fight, right? Because that's, that's life. That's life. All right? That, that it begins with sinful speech. If you want to know if you're, risen, if you're living the holy resurrected life, Begin with your speech. Do you constantly complain? Are you constantly critical? Being cantankerous or being a persistent cynic reveals our eyes are on the earth. Can I just give you give you spoiler alert here? Everything bad that can happen does happen. Right? If you put all your hope and, and goodness and, and identity in X, Y, or Z... They will let you down, which will, which will feed the envy and the anger and the bitterness that's already in your hearts. It is out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus tells us, the mouth speaks. So if your, thing, if your focus is on the earth, you will become a bitter whiner. And we've got enough of those. But if you focus on the things above, if you look 
down at the end of this passage, he talks a lot about singing psalms and spiritual songs of thanksgiving to one another. You and I have plenty of things to complain about. We have more things to be grateful for. Christ is risen from the dead. Notice the third thing he warns us here about earthly living is deceit. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self this pregnant. Now, how did we put off the old self? We died, we were raised, we've, been, we've ascended. We've put off the old self. Calvin, John Calvin tells us that the eighth commandment, do not steal, binds the hands. The ninth commandment, uh, the do not lie, binds the tongue. I love that. What lies behind deceit is pride, fear, and other securities. Think about it. If something good happened to me, right? I'm not whispering that. I'm not going to lie about it. You guys don't understand. I just got a scholarship to be the, the king of France. I don't know. That's not a good thing, right? Uh, I have to learn French. Right, right, yeah, I, just, I, just, I just became something great, right? I'm not going to lie about that unless it's not true. Fishing stories are the classic story of that. How big was that fish? It was really chaw big, but you came home telling your wife it was chaw big, didn't you? All right? And then, then when the grandkids come home, it's all of a sudden chaw big, ain't it? Right? Fish tail. Right? We deceive, we lie rooted in pride. We want to hide things. We don't want people to really know the truth. If you still don't believe me, check your Facebook posts. Check your Instagram filters. I bet that for that one picture you posted with you and the kids, you took 80 others that were just terrible. Why is that? You want to give the impression that your family is the perfect family. But it's a lie. Your family ain't perfect. My family ain't perfect. You've met my in-laws. You know we're not perfect, right? (laughs) For the Christian, however, we worship the God of truth. And if God is the God of truth ascended above, we focus and seek the things that are above truth. Isn't that what Jesus said? I am truth. The truth. Well, if the things of earth are characterized by internal idolatry, sinful speech, and deceit, what about the things of heaven? Look at this list, particularly verse 12 and 13, just for starters. Put on then. So you have the taking off and the putting on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I'll just, just pause. We don't have a lot. We just don't have time to go deep into that. But notice he, he tells you you are two things. If Christ has risen from the dead and you, have, you believe, you repent, you walk in the resurrection, you are holy, you are loved. That's identity. Transformation leads to becoming. When transformed, you become holy, loved. And that is, that is we just sang blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. That is a stamp of guarantee. Because our identity is not in what we accomplish, but what Christ has done for us. Holy and beloved. Here it is. The first thing he tells us is mercy. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Compassionate hearts. We live lives of mercy. We live lives of kindness. We live lives of compassion. The world is full of of entitlement and envy. We are called to be different because our eyes aren't focused on the things of the earth but the things above. Secondly, notice meekness. Humility, he says, verse 12. Meekness. Patience. There's plenty of impatient people waiting until you get in, in after church traffic out here in one of these stoplights. Plenty of impatient people. What we need 
It's patient people. And you should be patient. After all, you and I are still waiting for the return of Christ. It got dark enough without rain. We were starting to wonder today. And we're getting a little excited, right? And then the rain came. Well, this is what, not what we wanted to fall from heaven, right? Meekness. We walk in humility, not pride. Forgiveness there in verse 13. This is important. He says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Notice, when you bear with one another, it means you put up with one another. Right? You, you have siblings, right? You put up with them? Yeah. When we were growing up, I couldn't stand my brother and sister, but I was their number one ally when people started to mess with them and they me. Right? And I say I couldn't stand them. I love them just fine. I just, they need to be blinked in the eyes every once in a while, you know? That's all. That's all. And that's, that's true, isn't it? When it comes to our biological families, we do put up with our weird uncles and aunts. And if we were to be the household of God, we're going to have to put up with each other, bear with one another. The secret is you learn to forgive one another. And if you think, well, that's just too much. I have my entitlements and rights. May I point you to the cross again? You have been forgiven much. And having been raised with Christ, you are called to forgive as He has forgiven you. Well, this is all summarized starting in verse 14 and 17, right? The whole summary is kind of obvious. He tells us to love God, love our neighbor. If you want to know if you're living the holy life focused on things that are above, you will love God, love your neighbor. Jesus didn't make that up, right? And the apostles continue it. First of all, he says, learn to love your neighbor, verse 14. He says, above all these, put on love. You see, so everything we said about mercy, meekness, and forgiveness, you will practice them when you learn to love. You put off the old man, you put on the new man. The new man is characterized by love. You put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmonies. You notice that? You want to know why you're having arguments with someone? You want to know why you don't want to see them at the grocery store? You want to know why, why you, 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 you ignore their phone calls and, and, and delete all their emails and, 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 and don't pay attention to their text? You want to know why you have that division? Because there isn't enough love. Sin has crept in. Sin will always divide. Every time our society chooses sin above righteousness, we become more divided. It's true of your marriage. It's true of your own life. It's true of your your workspace. It's true of a church. Everywhere you go, where sin enters in, there will be division. But where love dominates, there will be unity. If you will learn to love your neighbor, and we will practice love as a household of God, there will be no division among us. But the minute pride, the minute idolatry, the minute entitlements, the minute any of this stuff creeps in, we'll be divided. And all it takes is just a little bit. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Not only that, we're called to love the Lord with our entire being. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, and he's had a lot to say about both, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see what he said there? Let your life be hidden in Christ. It's almost as if he said that in the first four verses. Because if your focus is on Him, you will seek to be like Him. You will seek to be with Him, the one risen from the dead, and you will fall in love with Him. Love God risen from the dead. And you will love your neighbor and learn to forgive them as you have been forgiven by your Savior. 
This is the secret to holiness. It's not about rule keeping. It's not about rule breaking. It's about focusing on our foundation of Christ risen from the dead. Seek the things that are above. We sing this all the time, don't we? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's almost as if the writer was reading Colossians 3. Let me borrow in conclusion from C.S. Lewis. In mere Christianity, he is struggling to illustrate exactly what it is he's talking about, holiness. And he borrows in a parable from George MacDonald, who was, played a big influence. Catholic theologian played a big influence on him. He writes, quote, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in the way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be uh, into uh, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. That's the process of becoming holy. Seek the things that are above where our risen Savior is. And we will walk in holiness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, I ask that you would be so kind.